Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. Pertech has teamed up again with the sport's biggest stakeholders to create the third annual Ultimate Bathurst Experience, with all proceeds going straight to the Peter Duncan Neurosciences Research Unit at St Vincent's Hospital. The winner and their guest will be treated as super VIP guests at the Repco Bathurst 1000 in October this year, with a number of behind-the-scenes experiences, all part of the major prize. The prize is not being auctioned, it's being raffled, giving everyone the chance to be involved with a limited number of tickets being offered at just $20 each. For a full list of prize inclusions and to buy your tickets for a chance to win this once-in-a-lifetime experience, visit ultimatemotorsportprize.com.au. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, all put together by the great team at Pertec. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legends series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. So, who is the biggest and baddest of the lot? This guy, physically imposing, intimidating, tough, and could back it up with his hands. 15, 18, or 21 times he was sent off. No one's really sure. Certainly, no one's going to argue. But as you're about to find out, he's also an absolute sweetheart of a man. But who is Big Jim Mills? Who is Jim Mills? Well, a boy that was born in Cardiff in South Wales. Well, I tell a lie, I was born in the Rhonda Valley, uh, in a place called Aberdeer, in the Rhonda Valley. Uh, my grandparents, my grandparent was uh, a coal miner, where they, they all are up that way, you know. But uh, I was, my father was from Cardiff and my mother was from Aberdeer, so they... It was the war year, so when the, the, they were still bombing Cardiff. So my mother took me to Aberdeer to be born. And uh, after I was born, after a couple of months, I went. I was brought up in Cardiff from two, two or three month old, you know. And uh, that's where I grew up and went to school in Cardiff. And uh, I used to play soccer as a goalkeeper. And uh, at my school, I, we changed school, went to a school called Windsor Clive in Cardiff. And one of the teachers there was a, a Welsh international rugby union player, a man called Sid Judd. He scored the winning try against the All Blacks in 1953. And he scored the winning try for Cardiff. And then he played for Wales the following weekend and they beat the All Blacks again and he scored another try. So he was my teacher. Wow. And he pulled me up in the yard one day. I was only about 12. And he said, Millsy, come here. So I went over. He, he said, you're too big to play soccer. He said, play rugby. He said, get me, I'll, I'll show you how to play rugby. I said, what sort of game is that? He said, I'll show you. Anyhow, he got me playing rugby. And I got on and he, eventually I got a trial for Cardiff School Boys. I got into Cardiff School Boys side and then uh, 
poor old Sid, before I left school, he died of leukemia. Oh. Terrible, 30-year-old. And uh, that upset me a lot. But he'd arranged for me when I left school to join the Cardiff Club, the Cardiff Rugby Union Club. And uh, I, I joined the, the Cardiff youth side with another uh, player who you may remember who played for Great Britain with me, Colin Dixon. Yes. Uh, and uh, me and Colin played together. And then uh, Colin, when he was 17, he went north to Halifax, Rugby League. And I stayed on for a bit and uh, I got into the Cardiff first team and uh, had a year there. And then uh, this Colin had recommended me to rugby league and the scouts had come down and they, uh, they offered me a good offer. £4,000 in them days was a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, I, I signed for uh, Halifax, the same as Colin. I was about 19 then. Mm. Over time, stories, they either get lost or they grow and they grow greatly. There's, there's plenty of stories, Jimmy. Where do, we, where do we start with you? Well, I was sort of a, a bit of a slow starter when I got into rugby league and, uh, you know, finding my way about. I was homesick. Yeah. Was, you know, I miss my mum's my mom, my cooking and everything. And it's very difficult when you go up north because for the first time in your life, you're on your own. Mm. Although I had good friends, you know, good friends, but uh, I uh, eventually got into the uh, first team, and uh, I always remember my first game when we were playing Warrington at, at, from all Halifax, and uh, I thought, well, I'll just take the ball up today. I won't try passing and all that. I'll just run hard. Uh, don't make any mistakes, and uh, I never forget. I I took this ball, and I, I didn't know any of the players in the Warrington side, and there was a big old looking. Baldy chap, I thought, I'll run at him. I'll shift him. So uh, I run full gallop at him. I thought I'd run I thought I'd run into the rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> it, was a, it was like uh, oh, Charlie Winslade, his name was. He was a Welshman. And he'd been up there many years and he was a real toughie. He, uh, he, uh, he was known for, uh, well, I found out about it. He was known for his uh, shoulder. You could use your shoulder in them days, and uh, I run right into it, and I, I stopped like a, like I say, like I did the the Rock of Gibraltar. But uh, Frank Myler always tells me the story about uh, Charlie Winslade, poor old late Frank. He said he was playing at witness with Vince Corelius, and Vinty uh, run into uh, Charlie Winslade, and Charlie flattened him with his shoulder, you know. And Vinty's on the floor, out of breath, and he said to Frank, he's done me, he said, he said I'll, I'll, I'll get him now in a bit. Anyhow, he said he, he got up and rolled his sleeves up, Vinty. Five minutes later, he'd done him again. And Vinny's on the floor. <laughs> and Frank went, are you all right? Are you all right, Vinny? And Vinny said, he's done me again. <laughs> so that was a character he was. Yeah. Jim, I've done my research. You were a footballer. You were a, a ball player, terrific vision, fast for a big man too. And when I say big, we're talking six foot four or just under 18 stone or about 115 kilos, which at the time was a giant of a man. Does that, does that get overlooked a lot, the fact you had more than just muscle and toughness? Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, I was a, one of the biggest in, in, in the rugby league, you know, uh, Obviously, when I come to Australia, there were some big lads, you know, and mm. 
Big Arthur and Arthur Beach and what a great forward he was. Uh, and John O'Neill, another great forward, lovely lad. And uh, a lot, lot of big O'Reilly, these fellas. And, uh, you know, a lot of big lads in, in the Australian side. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed playing there, you know. But uh, I did I, I did have, a to be fair, a bit of turn of speed. I, I could shift. And uh, I enjoyed playing a bit of football as well, you know, like taking a couple of players on and slipping the ball, mm. like 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 the great Arthur Beats, and he he was a tremendous at that, as you know, running into, running into the crowd and slipping the ball. He was he was brilliant at it because he he had such a big backside on him, yeah. Arthur. You, you 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 go and he turned his back on you, and by the time you got your arms round him to get at the ball, the ball was gone. <laughs> Good lad. We're yeah. talking the late 1960s. Now, especially in the north of England, a young prop forward had to be alert, tough, and have a good chin because a young prop forward was an automatic target for an older, baldy prop oh, forward. That's right, yeah. You had to be tough. Yeah. You had to be on. Yeah. I think, well, you know, you, you, you build a reputation as your player, don't you? And, you know, I. I found it pretty easy the last five or six years because I'd built a reputation. Not many really had a go at me. You know, I'd built that reputation. But when I first came up, I used to get a couple of clouts, you know, that uh, I, I'd done my best to pay back. But, uh, you know, you, I think you, 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 you play the game and you learn as you go along mm. and, uh, you know, you learn how to look after yourself as well. In Australia, we marvel at Mal Meninga, who toured the UK on the Kangaroo Tour four times, you were actually selected on all five tours of the 1970s, yeah. I think. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I, 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 I think uh, I look at record, there's only me and Roger Millward was picked on all the tours. No, wow. Roger went on them on the, on the 70s. But 1970, I was picked on the, the last team to win the Ashes with, with Frank Myler. And uh, Roy Francis was... Coach in North Sydney, just joined North Sydney. And uh, he was over and he watched so much. I was playing for Bradford and he said, uh, come and play for North Sydney, Jim. I'll give you a good contract. We need a big fall. I said, I'm on the tour. I said, I'm picked on the tour. He says, oh, you can always go on tour. Anyhow, he gave, he gave me a good contract and he talked me into it. But I've always regretted it because that team was a great team and they won the Ashes. And I went to North Sydney and with great respect, North Sydney uh, was struggling a bit yeah. at the time. You know, we weren't a great team. And uh, I think our big star was Ken Irvine on the wing. He was a, he was a legend there, a great player. And uh, I, I, I went and played for North Sydney, but I always regretted I was stood on the terraces at the Sydney Cricket Ground for the third test watching it, you know, and I thought, and Dougie Lawton, my old mate, had a great game. He was man of the match, and I thought, you know, I could have been on there and they won the Ashes. And I was really a bit jealous of it all, but uh, that was it. I made my mind up and uh, I, I love playing for North Sydney, don't get me wrong, but uh, I, I, I always regretted giving up that tour. And then I went in 74. Yeah. Uh, that was a good, that was a great side. Roger reckoned it was better than the 70 side. Uh, we we just lost the first test by a few points. Uh, we won the second test on the Sydney Cricket Ground. Mm. And uh, the third test, I think, I'm pretty sure we scored more tries in Australia, but they beat us. 
and it was very close. So was nothing in it, and uh, that series was very tough. And then I went uh, seventy-five with Wales in the World Cup uh, when we beat England at Brisbane, the Battle of Brisbane. Battle of Brisbane. We beat England, and then seventy-seven. Uh, it was a, I think there was a, a World Cup or something. Anyhow, I was picked on it, and I was trained with Vince Kralis, uh in his. He had his own gym and. I'd got an hernia and I had to have an operation on it. So I, I missed the 77 tour. And then I went 79 and I was about 36 in. And uh, I played about half, half a dozen games and uh, I my knee was giving up. I mean, it went, you know, on the hard grounds. And uh, I had to come home, a couple, me and Dougie come home and Stevie Nash. So uh, although I, I, I was picked on five tours, uh, the one I should have gone on, I didn't go on. Pertec has teamed up again with the sport's biggest stakeholders to create the third annual Ultimate Bathurst Experience, with all proceeds going straight to the Peter Duncan Neurosciences Research Unit at St Vincent's Hospital. The winner and their guest will be treated as super VIP guests at the Repco Bathurst 1000 in October this year, with a number of behind-the-scenes experiences all part of the major prize. The prize is not being auctioned, it's being raffled, giving everyone the chance to be involved with a limited number of tickets being offered at just $20 each. For a full list of prize inclusions and to buy your tickets for a chance to win this once-in-a-lifetime experience, visit ultimatemotorsportprize.com.au. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, all put together by the great team at Pertech. That was the the nineteen seventy that the famous last time that that uh, Great Britain won the Ashes. What was the feeling yeah. like standing at the SCG watching and and not being able to be part of it? What was that like? I can remember it like yesterday. I'm not joking. I, I was stood on the on the terraces there, and Great Britain they they played well that day. They really, you know, with football it was they destroyed Australia that day mm. that last test and. Uh, you know, it, it was just a feeling of uh, joy, joy that they'd won the test series. But I really did feel sick that I, I'd given mm. up. That that's when I realised what I'd given up. You know, yeah. The Bears, as you said, they were struggling at the time. This is between nineteen seventy and nineteen seventy-two. Did that's you right. enjoy your time in Sydney? Yeah, oh, I loved it in Sydney. I made good, wonderful friends, like uh, you know. Great, great friends, and uh, I, I had a couple of years, you, you know, really enjoying myself. I really had a good time, you know. Which Aussie great. Fords and, did you get into, or which Aussie Fords got into you? Oh well, I had a few scraps with Artie. I got uh, against, but first time I think I played as Artie, I got sent off. But uh, I'd, I'd been cautioned for punching Artie, and then uh, Davy Bolton. The, the, the Englishman run at me twice and stepped me twice and uh, made a bit of a fool of me, really. And anyhow, he did it the third time. and he, he I, sh- I shouldn't have done it, but I chopped him down and uh, I got sent off. So uh, that was my first meeting with, with Big Half and things. Uh, but uh, I, I, I had some uh, some great, great times there, you know. I always re- remember one particular story. I was out with... Uh, Bobby Fulton and Matt Mal Reilly were having a drink in Manly. And uh, 
we'd had a few. And when we were coming out, Malcolm was trying to pick up this big flower pot <laughs> with a big tree in it. I said, what are you doing, Malcolm? I said, leave it to a man. Get out of it. I said, yeah. And I picked this flower pot up. And it was so heavy, I couldn't put it down. So I staggered out. And it was a car parked <laughs> outside the like arcade where the pub was. And I rested it on the roof like that. And the roof went... <laughs> So anyhow, <laughs> this chap, this chap had seen us, and he obviously knew who we were. And I got a phone call the next day from the chap who owned the the car. He said, "Listen, Jim." He said, uh, "We I know what's happened." He said, "But you know the car's damaged, and if you pay for it, it's all forgotten." You know, and I thought, "Well, that's very kind of him." So anyhow, uh, I forget a few few hundred dollars each, and. Uh, Bobby give me a few hundred dollars and Malcolm give me a few hundred dollars and I paid a few hundred dollars and uh, that's how we settled it. <laughs> oh, that is terrific. Mate, you mentioned uh, Ken Irvine, obviously one of the all-time greats. What are your memories of, of Mongo? Oh, he was a wonderful player. And, uh, you know, he had such longevity as well, you know, mm. playing in the game and he was... He was the big star at uh, North Sydney, and uh, he scored some. In them days, he scored some great tries. Mm. You know, the pace of him was unbelievable. Like he was not in his A day when I was there, but uh, you know, he was still tremendous. Unfortunately, um, he had a fallout with uh, Roy Francis, and Roy Francis let him go to Manly. But uh, it was a big mistake on Roy's part. He should never have, because. Uh, what Roy should have understood is he was part of North Sydney's culture in a way. Yeah. You know, he he was very part, and uh, you know, the the fans didn't like it when he went, mm. and uh, you know, a lot of the players were very close to him, and uh, really, it was a big mistake on Roy's part. But uh, he was one for discipline, and they were that's that's how it goes. But I thought it was a big mistake. You mentioned 1970, you mentioned 1974, both Ashes series. The game is much more professional now, as are the referees. But back in the day, if an Australian touring side was going to play up north, a British referee would give them nothing. But when you came to Australia, the Australian refs would give you absolutely nothing. It's just how it was. Yeah, well, you, you do you do notice it. You know, you you think you're playing a test match, and I won't mention any test matches, but you think he's given us all our penalties in our half, and all their penalties in our half. You, you know, it's just impossible. And uh, but I think British referees lent to us, and Australian referees lent to, lead to uh, Australia. I think it's a natural thing in a way, mm. but uh, that's why you should always have independent referees from New Zealand or French or whatever. And uh, I I think they do now, don't they? They, yeah. uh, they usually neutral referees. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was a bad part of the game in them days, you know, you know. I always thought we would have won the 74 Ashes if we'd have uh, had a neutral referee, especially the last test. Yep. Mm. Yeah, that last test in particular. Mate, I'm going to take you back here. May 10, 1975, Witness and Warrington at Wembley mm. in front of 85,098 fans, a 14-7 win in a Challenge Cup. Witness, keep up the pressure. Lawton has it. To Hughes. Then Big Jim Mills collects, and he's over for a try. 
for the first time, witness are ahead. Does anything compare to that experience? Well, that was my first visit to Wembley, and uh, uh, witness uh, it would be it was ten years before they they went there in '64 when Vince Corrales was captain. Mm. Well, Vince Corrales was the, the, the our coach that day where, where we played Warrington, and the coach of uh, Warrington was Alex Murphy, and they both had a record. They'd never lost at Wembley as a player or coach, so one of them was going to lose the record. Mm. Anyhow, uh, Alex Murphy said he'd jump off this Runcorn Bridge, which divides witness and Runcorn. If they, if we beat them, they were favourites. Anyhow, uh, we won, and he never jumped off the bridge. We're still waiting for him to jump off the bridge. But Vince Kralis, uh he he was great coach. He he was a fitness fanatic, and uh, you know I train in the week, and I I'd go up his house most nights training. We'd be running through the fields. And we'd be on the weights and all that. And when I come home from Australia, I piled the weight down when I signed for witness. I was 22 stone. And uh, Vinty got me down to just over 18 stone. So when I played at Wembley, I was just over 18 stone. And I was running. I could run all day long. And uh, I scored our only try. Which, yes. Which beat them. I scored our only try. And, uh, you know, Vinty uh, was over the moon that night we had a great night and uh you know although we only won 14 7 we were much the better side we should have won a, you know, a couple of close tries of a called up but uh we were much the better side that day and but that that game is one of them that sticks in your mind obviously my first Wembley scored in the, the try mm. you'd win the challenge cup a second time with witness but back to 1975 it was the world series which i guess was a prelude to what we now term the world cup so many things to get through here. We'll start with the fact it was the first World Cup, I think, where England and Wales were split, which led to, <laughs> as you mentioned, the, the famous Battle of Brisbane. What stands out yeah. there? Well, I always remember uh, when we played at Wembley against Warrington, the prop, Dave, Chis- Dave Chisnell, uh, with a couple of minutes to go, I was just holding onto the ball because we we were winning and just playing the game out. And uh, I got a whack and cut my lip there. And it was this Dave Chisnell, the prop. And uh, the game was over. Next minute, the whistle went. So, But I thought, I, I won't forget that. So anyhow, uh, the next time I met him was in the Wales-England game over in Brisbane. And it wasn't supposed to be a violent game, but... Uh, Alex Murphy came on the TV over there and he, he asked Alex Murphy, who was coach of England, what do you think of the Welsh team? And Alex Murphy, big mouth, said, well, he said, not one of them's good enough to be in the England team. Oh. So, uh, you couldn't say anything worse. The English lads were sick because he said it, because he just got our backs up, you know. Anyhow, the first scrum, I remember Chisdale from Wembley, so I give him a wallop. In the first scrum, Fisher knocked the hooker, uh, Tony Fisher knocked Mick Morgan, the England hooker, out. So there was two bodies on the floor, first scrum. Anyhow, uh, it just went down from there. It was a, it was a hard game. It was, you know, played, uh, poor old Mick Morgan, uh, he got knocked out three times and got carried off and he, they kept pushing him back on. And I said to Tony Fisher, Tony, 
donate him home. I said, donate him again. I said, he don't know where he is. I said, his legs are gone, his eyes are gone. I said, just leave him there. He's doing us no harm. And Tony goes, all right. So anyhow, we went down to scrum. And I was just going away from the scrum and I heard crack and I looked and he knocked him out again. Oh. I said, I, I said, Tony, I said, I told you not to hit him again. He said, I could resist it. <laughs> oh, terrific. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, also, 1975, and it's something you don't like talking about, but it's something that you do get asked a lot, but there is a nice end to this story, was Wales, <laughs> New Zealand and the John Greengrass incident. Last desperate bid by the Kiwis into injury time. Just taken by his collar, and this last grandstand bid by... New Zealand is a brave one, it's a try, a try by John Greengrass, well, it, and uh, since, I think he sent somebody off, Jim Mills has been sent off, Jim Mills has been sent off. I'll let, I'll let you tell the story, Jim. Well, it was uh, World, World Cup, as you say, and uh, we just got beat in New Zealand, I think, by him, and uh, I'd scored a try in New Zealand against them and then we played at home at Swansea in the return and uh, what had happened it wasn't a dirty game or anything really and uh, Greengrass had uh, broke through the other line and I'd gone like that and he'd, he'd scored and for some I, I, I can't explain it to this day I just stamped In 2023, this is what you can expect from Unfiltered. The Legend Series starts your working week, featuring interviews with some of the game's finest, in-depth and personal. We talk footy and life in a subtle mix you can't or won't hear anywhere else. On Thursday, the Rugby League Superpod returns 12 different player interviews every single episode. It's fast-paced, and if you like a laugh with your footy, this is for you. It's the weekly show you can't miss. Then on Saturday, it's Dream Team time. Who would you name in your best ever 13? We ask that question to players past and present. We don't always agree, but that's what it's about. The ultimate argument starter. Who is the best 13 ever? Be sure to follow us on social media to keep up to date on who's coming onto the podcast. We're all over Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Andy Raymond. Or you can check out the website, andyraymondunfiltered.com.au. Before you go, do a mate a favour and when you're done here, leave a five-star rating and write a quick review for us on the podcast app you're listening on. In terms of business, it's huge for us and it allows us to keep creating the content you love for free. Make sure you come back soon. Legends 